This morning, I am talking as we look at this passage about a vision for spiritual imposters. Have you ever felt like an imposter? Felt like this idea of being an imposter is is feeling like I I don't belong here. Like like if they find out, someone's going to tackle me, kick me out. Remember a while ago, if you, if you know me, you know that I have a uh, healthy love for the Lord's baseball team, the San Francisco Giants, <laughs> Team Orange. And uh, a while ago, uh, my friend, uh, his name is Randy Zachary, uh, somehow managed to get us tickets as, I've shared this story before, but as media people to go to a Giants game. And uh, I've never written a column or, or, or interviewed anybody, but he had some connections, and so we got to sit in the press booth of the Giants game right behind home plate and pretend like we were writing an article. And, and then after the game, we got to go, hear this, into the Giants locker room. And we got to, like, I remember we had, like, our phones, and we were pretending like we were, like, listening to, like, the interviews of this closer named Brian Wilson and another pitcher named Sergio Romo, and we were standing there. And I remember the whole time I was just thinking, like, someone's going to figure this out. Like, I'm going to get tackled at any moment by, by, by some guy who's like, hey, that, that, that guy is not a, a reporter. He's an imposter, What's he doing in the locker room? Watch out, Buster Posey. Well, I'd be careful, right? And, 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 and maybe you've had moments like that where, where you felt like an imposter. You felt like, like maybe at work, like, like, like someone's giving you a job and, and you're wondering, like, are they going to find out that I, I, I don't know what in the world I'm doing? Or, or, or maybe at school or, or, or you're teaching and, and, and you're wondering, like, do they know that, like, I'm learning what I'm teaching, like the day before I teach it? Or, or maybe like right now in this moment, sitting here in church and thinking, if they knew the, the things going on in my head, or the things going on in my family, or the things that I'm struggling with, would I, would I get kicked out of here? Or thinking about your, your relationship with God and thinking about, I, I hear these songs that I sing about a way maker. I hear these songs I sing about his breath, but perhaps I don't belong. It seems to me all of us can relate in some level of moments of feeling like an imposter. And today, as we look at the book of Zechariah, God has a word for us for imposters. God has an incredible word for us, a vision for you today. And I would just encourage you, if you got your Bibles, to be in Zechariah chapter three. We're gonna make our way through this story and talk about what this means for us today and for these moments when we feel like, I just don't belong. In this passage, if you've been following along here, we've been working our way through the whole Bible. And so we've been in different Bible passages that we're not used to reading in church. 
We've been in the Old Testament for quite some time. To be honest, I'm pretty tired of the Old Testament. Like, I can't wait to get to the New Testament and read of Jesus. We're almost there. Keep reading. If, if, you're, if you're in our reading plan, maybe you've fallen away or maybe you've gotten, I would encourage you, just catch up. Just start with tomorrow's reading uh, and for sure get ready for when we get in the New Testament to get back after it. I, I think these are times of teaching and preaching together and working through this are going to be so much richer for God's family if we're reading the scriptures together on our own. And in the story so far, we know that God's people have been in exile. We know that he had a plan for them, a promise for them. He created them with this promise, and they sinned against them. He, he brought them out of Egypt. He, he delivered them, and they continued to grumble, and they continued to not follow his ways. And he brought in the Assyrians, and he brought in the Babylonians. And, 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 we, and we learned last week that from this guy named Daniel about, about what it means to live in exile under the authority of a foreign ruler. And today we we start this next section of God providing for his people and they are getting ready or, or they are making their way back to Jerusalem to rebuild. To rebuild their, 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 their Jerusalem. And we read from the book of Haggai about this prophet who said, you need to build the temple. And, and today for Zechariah, Zechariah is a prophet And he's speaking into the people, and he has this vision. It says that he has a vision from the Lord. And the vision is about this guy named Joshua. Now, when we say Joshua, we're not talking about Joshua like in Jericho. That's another story, a great story. But we're talking about Joshua. This was the great high priest. The priest who was a representative of the people who did the work of, of, of the temple and, who, and who, who did the sacrificing and helped the people, he was like, like what we would call a pastor today. He was like the one that was the mediator between God and the people. And in the story here, Joshua, we, we learned something about Joshua. You see, in Joshua, the high priests, they had all of these rituals. They had to clean their hands. They had, to, they had to do all these sacrifices before they could do anything for the people. And they had these really ornate outfits that they would use that were spotless because the very presence of God is holy. And when they, started, when they did the sacrifices for him, they needed to be holy before him. And so in this story, as we think about this, there's this guy named Joshua, this high priest, And look at what it says here. It says in chapter three that he has this vision of the high priest standing in the presence of God. And in verse three, it says, now Joshua was standing before the angel. But there's a tension here. It says that he's clothed with filthy garments. The people are going back from exile. They're thinking about their future and their hope and their representative, Joshua, is dirty, is filthy. And there's a tension here and wondering, can we rebuild this? You see, Joshua is a filthy imposter. He's a filthy imposter. That's that fill in the blank if you're, if you're following along and you're, in your notes here, he's a filthy imposter. 
And I imagine here in this story, as we think about this, that in this moment, as Joshua in the very presence of the almighty God has these filthy clothes on. And we know that Joshua was an upright man. It says in Ezra 2 that he had set up the altar. We know that he was trying his best. But I imagine in his head, in this time, he's thinking these words, I don't belong. And I have nothing to say. Notice in this narrative, Joshua never speaks a word. He's not just dirty, he's totally defenseless. He knows that he's an imposter. And so in this story, the very representative of the people does not belong. It's not just that he doesn't belong, it's that he has no defense. This idea of this filth relates to his sin, and there's been a whole bunch of commentators wondering, like, is this related to a particular sin that he had when he was in Babylon? But we learn later on that God refers to it as the iniquities. And so we know that this is just, this is, and we know that their time in Babylon, they were called to plant gardens, they were called to, to be there, be, be, be with the people and to share the Lord, but there seemed to be these compromises that they had made and they had become dirty, they had become filthy and they didn't belong in the very presence of God. And as we think about this question, this reminds us of the prophet Isaiah. Do you remember Isaiah? He was a prophet that warned that they would go to Isaiah, that they would go to Assyria, that Assyria would come in and Babylon would come in. He warned them that they would be exiled. And he said this about the people. He said, we have all become like one who is unclean. He says, all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment, the same language. Even our best things that we think we do for the Lord are dirty. And so we feel this tension in this story that Joshua, the great high priest, he is the, the best of, of all and the best representative. He is filthy. But he's not, the only, he's not the only character in this story. There's also what I would like to call the accusing pest. The accusing pest. You ever had somebody that like, whenever you screw up, they point it out, like maybe a little sibling. Like you do one little thing and they go, they go running to mom and dad. I remember my little brother was the best about this. Like he would break my Legos and then I would punch him in the face, because that's what you do when you break my Legos, and he would run to my mom like, like, and go tell her about the things that I had just did. He didn't say about the things that he did, and then I would get in trouble. And every single time, he had it down to a science. And I never figured it out, I just got into more trouble and more trouble and more trouble. Do you guys have siblings like that? Or maybe kids like that? Maybe you think about your kids, and you know, yeah, that, that, that's, the, that's the accusing pest. In this story, we learn about an accusing pest, and his name is Satan. Look at what it says here in verse one. It says, in this vision, it says that he showed Joshua, there's the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to do what? To accuse him. Now who's Satan? The word for Satan is accuser, adversary. This is a very similar story, if you remember the story of Job, of Satan seems to be able to make these accusations against God's people. 
And Satan is like the forever pest. And he's the accuser. And we know in scripture it tells all things about Satan. He is Sidious. He's the father of lies. He's, he's, the, he's the great lion looking to, to devour you. He wants to kill. He wants to ruin your life. And in this instant, he's like at the edge of his seat. Like, I can't wait to share with you, angel, about all the things that Joshua did. I can't wait to tell you that he's mine, he's evil, he's filthy, and he has no reason here. And you can tell here, he is ready to accuse him. This is his job, day in and day out, to accuse and to speak. And in this case, it's not even lies. It's the very real struggles and the sins that Joshua has been wrestling with. And so we see this accusing pest, and he's saying something like this. You don't belong here. You're right. You are, and I would like you to think about here for a second to personalize this. Because in this story, we're truly all in this room too. And Satan knows each of our filthy sin and, and our struggles. And he knows the things that we're wrestling with. And if you could, would you write down what that you are would be? There's a little in your, in your notes, or if you're taking notes, would you just write down, or in the, in the voice in your head, just to write down, what is it that Satan is accusing you of that causes you to be filthy? I know for me, it would be you are not good enough. It would be you don't do enough. You need to work harder, Logan. You need, you need, to, you need to show up more. You need, to, you need to be more active. You need to, and by the way, look at how you have that anger outburst with your children. That is ridiculous. You're a pastor. And in this moment, there's this accusing pest that is speaking, and, it, and what is so annoying about it is it's not stuff like, like Logan, you're a murderer. No, like, like, like that, that's not gonna get me, because I'm not. It's, it's like truth that I know I've been wrestling with. That, that, that it's, 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 he's literally looking at my filthy garments and saying, you are an imposter, how dare you? And so in this story, we have the filthy imposter, and we have this accusing pest that says, you don't belong here. You're not good enough. But what I love about this story, we also have, hear this, the rebuking savior. The rebuking savior. You see, even though in this moment, hear this, even though in this moment, Joshua has no words. He's totally defenseless. He has nothing he can say. He's sitting here waiting for Satan, that annoying pest, to pour out on him, to drag him away to the pits of hell. But before Satan can even say something, there's another person who speaks. It's the very angel of the Lord, and look at what he says, this rebuking savior. First, he has a word for Satan. Look at what he says. The Lord said to Satan, 
the Lord, Yahweh, rebuke you. He's talking to Satan, the pest. Oh, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city. He's talking about his people. He's talking about the full story from Abraham and, and Moses and, and Job and, and all these, and Daniel and all these stories. He's talking about the Lord has chosen Jerusalem. The Lord has chosen these people. Rebuke you. Does, is not this the brand plucked from the fire, and people say the fire is probably an allusion to Babylon and how God is grabbing this branch or this brand out of Babylon. He's taking care of his people, and he's wanting Satan to know in this story, God is so much bigger and so much powerful, and in this story, God says, guess what? I, Yahweh, the one who created it all, the one who spoke breath into humanity, I've chosen them. And my power and my providence and my election of them is greater than those accusations that you made. I will do something because I am God and I chose. And Satan can't speak. But there's a tension here. Because there's still an imposter in the room. Joshua's sitting here, and he's filthy, and he's sinned, he's, he's, he's followed other gods. He hasn't done the, the justice that the Lord has called his people to do. He's filthy. But the word is not just for Satan. You see, this angel of the Lord also has a word for Joshua. I believe it's a word for you and me, too. Look at what it says. In verse four, it says that the angel said to those who were standing before him, there's other angels in the room, it seems like here. And he says, you see those filthy garments he's got? Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, he's talking to Joshua, the imposter. He said, behold, I have taken the iniquity, the sin, transgressions, the things that you have done. So now, this is not just clothing, this is about action. You see the vision? It's about the things that they have done against God. I've taken that, I've taken that away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. I'm gonna give you a new fit. I'm gonna clothe you in my righteous gear. He says, I have not just, I've chosen you and I will clothe you. I've chosen you and I will clothe you. And in this moment, there's still a tension here. Because what do we do with all these dirty clothes? Like, I get it, God loves them, God has chosen in his providence, but God, being perfect, is also a just God. We love having a God who deals with sin. We love having a God who does not let people get away with their sin because we don't wanna live in a world where that happens. That would be evil. 
And so what is God going to do with all these filthy garments? Well, we know the story. Doesn't say it here, but we know the full story. Look at Isaiah 61, similar language from the prophet Isaiah about God's people. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. If you have your Bibles, turn this. I want to do the next verse too. Isaiah chapter 61. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he, here it is again, has clothed me with the garments, with the clothes of salvation. He, God, has covered me with the robe of righteousness. He's put on his goodness. And then he describes this as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And then verse 11, it's not on the screen, so hear this. For the earth brings forth its sprouts. And as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to, to sprout up, and hear this, before all the nations. So in Isaiah, this promise is not just for these chosen people, it's also for all the nations. It's not just for the Jews. There's a bigger picture that we remember from Abraham when God told Abraham, Abraham, you're going to be a blessing, and I'm going to use you to bless others, and you will be a blessing to all the nations. In other words, this very same truth, as we read this passage, and we wonder, could this be for me? We know it's for me. We know in this story that Joshua is just a shadow of the true Joshua. That this priest, he would do his best, he would do the sacrifices, but he is still human, he would fall, and as we follow the story along, this story will continue of God's people not being able to follow through. But we know that one would come. And his name is Jesus, and the language, the name of Jesus is actually the same name of Joshua. Jeshua, which means God saves, Yahweh saves. We know that Jesus would come. And what I love about this story is actually as we read this story, did you know here that the incarnate Christ is in this very room? In the scriptures, when we read the Old Testament, when you see the angel of the Lord, that word for angel is a word messenger. It's a messenger of the Lord. And we've seen this messenger show up with Joshua. We've seen this messenger show up at the burning bush. We've seen this messenger all throughout these stories. And we believe, scholars, commentators believe that when we talk about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that the Son, Jesus himself, is the angel of the Lord in this moment who is speaking to Joshua and speaking to you and me and saying, I will clothe you. And how will I clothe you? I will put on your filthy garments. I will put on those filthy garments. I will die on a cross, and he who, be, he who knew no sin would become sin so that I could become the righteousness of God, and he would die on a cross, pay that penalty so that we could be clothed. In theology, we call this the great exchange this beautiful exchange where I and my, as an imposter, give 
my sins, my struggles, the things that I have done to God. Christ takes them on, but he also clothes me. He also does something in my heart. This is the gospel. It's this righteousness. We talk about imputed righteousness to me. And so we see this here. And we see this truth of a rebuking savior. And then, there's one more character. I like to call him the encouraging sibling. I know that's kind of an oxymoron. But as, as, as Zachariah's having this passage, as, as he's having this vision, it's like he gets so overwhelmed with Joshua, the high priest, the representative, this imposter being clothed, and all of a sudden righteous, like now he can do his work. Joshua's like looking at his outfit. He's like, that looks good, but you know what? He needs a hat. Like, he needs a hat. Look at what happens. It says, Zechariah 3, 5, it says, and I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they may put a clean turban on his head and they clothed him with garments and the angel of the Lord, Jesus, was standing by. Seems to me as we read this, what's happening is this isn't just like any old hat. This is a hat, if you go and read Exodus 28, the priests would wear this hat and this hat was this headdress that they would wear that would basically declare to the people, this is God's representative, he is holy, There's a sureness of who they are, of their ability to be in the very temple. And there's also this expectation of godliness. That when you wear this hat, you do the things that you do as a priest, you walk in the ways of the Lord. If you keep reading this, the very Jesus, Christ is gonna speak in to Joshua and he's gonna say, walk in my ways and keep my charge. And it seems to me this sibling, Zechariah, the Jewish brother, the prophet, he's looking at this and he's telling Joshua and he's telling you and me in this as we bend clothes, he says, let's, this is awesome, let's get back to the Lord's work. He's saying, we've been clothed, We we have gotten this great exchange, let's get back to work, let's get back to doing the things that God has done because he's clothed us, we're ready to go. And so we see this encouraging sibling saying, listen, I know you did those things. Listen, I know that we have these struggles, but I want you to hear this. That's dealt with. Joshua, you got priest work to do. Brother, sister, you have work to do if you are in Christ. So as we think about this, as we ask ourselves this question, as we go back to the very beginning of those moments when maybe I felt like an imposter, or maybe right in this moment I feel like maybe I'm a spiritual imposter. Maybe I don't belong in the family of God. Maybe I'm not sure I even believe in this. My first thing as we think about these implications for you and me today, as you think what this means for you and me is I want you to hear this. First implication, stand in your mess in faith. I love in this story as I read this that got back, I just circled that Joshua 
He's filthy. But what is he doing? Is he cowering in the corner? Hiding behind the interpreter? Is he running? It says that in all of his filth, he's standing. Now he's silent, there's nothing he can do. He hasn't earned this, this filth has to be met with, but there's something, I believe this to be so, so important for us, there's something about us standing and acknowledging and admitting our position. Acknowledging and admitting, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I'm an imposter. And I'm gonna stand. And I'm gonna stand in faith. We are a people of faith. I'm gonna stand in faith believing this to be true. Believing this to be true. I love uh, one of our teaching team members, Eddie, sent me this from the Heidelberg Catechism. It says this, as you think about how you stand, the question from question 60 says, how are you righteous before God? It's only by true faith in Jesus Christ that is, although my conscience, the voice in your head, the accuser accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all the commandments of God and have never kept any of them and am still prone always to all evil. Yet God, without any merit of mine, of mere grace, grants and imputes, clothes me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ as if I had never committed nor had any sin and had myself accomplished all the obedience which Christ has fulfilled in me, if only, hear this, I accept, I would say, stand such benefit with a believing heart. For some of us this morning, we've never put our faith in Jesus. We've never said, I, you know what, I recognize I need a savior. One of the bad theological premises in the religious worlds is thinking, you know what, have you ever heard this said, I just hope when I get to heaven that I'm gonna be good enough. I just hope that like I've done enough to like outweigh like all the other stuff. And the story of scripture says, you're not good enough. So all have fallen, all, it says you're filthy. But it says to stand in faith in the righteousness of Christ. And for some of us today, we just need to stand and say, you know what? I know that I don't belong, but in Christ I do. In Christ I'm an heir, I'm a child of God. I have a new identity. This is who I am. Which leads me to the second point. Hear this. Listen to the Savior and not the sinner. Listen to the Savior and not the sinner. Far too often we have this mixtape in our head of who we once were, of the things we once did, and it's like, no, I've been clothed, I got a new outfit. There's this study called the imposter syndrome. Have you heard of this? 
Harvard Business Review says there's this syndrome that we have that speaks into all the anxiousness and insecurities we have about life. It says it's, it's a feeling of inadequacy that persists despite evident success, a sense of intellectual fraudulence, this idea that I'm never going to be good enough, that, that, I, that, that, that I'm an imposter. And it's, it causes us to forget, it's not about who you are, hear this, it's about whose you are. There's a story from Martin Luther's monk about this castle that after he had this council, he went into refuge and there's this castle and on this castle there's this ink blot. It's there to this day. And the story is, is that he did a lot of really good work. He was writing all these things. But in those times, he found himself feeling accused by Satan. Like, like Satan was, was reminding him of the list of sins that he had done. And it was getting to a point where he couldn't take it anymore. He was being so overwhelmed at these lies, at these truths of the accuser, and it says in the story that finally he's hearing this in this dream, he's doing all this work, and the accuser is attacking him, and, and Martin Luther says this, it's all true, Satan. And many more sins which I have committed in my life, which are known to God only, but write this at the bottom of your list. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. Would you write that at the bottom of your list? Would you be a people of faith alone, in Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, to his glory alone? And as you live that, this leads to the third implication. I'd say walk with the joy of your new fit. Now fit is like, apparently like hip language for outfit. Is that right, youth? Am I good? So you can say outfit. But this relates to this moment of this new clothing that's on God's people. And I think, church, there's a joy to this clothing. There's something about who we are in the songs that we sing, in the smiles that we, that we, that we find ourselves giving that aren't fake. Because we know that we've been clothed and we have a new fit. You know how like when you get a new outfit? Like you got that new pair of shoes. I'm a shoe guy. So you got that new pair of shoes and you're walking into the room and you're just kind of like, yeah. See those Jordans? Or you got that new outfit. This is what God's people are. We are clothed in the very righteousness of God. We are walking. In. And so when Jesus says, walk with me, he says, walk in my righteousness and I'll continue to do something in you. So if you can, I would like you to close your eyes for a moment here. Heard this story shared, and I like to kind of, this activity from Pastor John Limbaugh out of Knox. He, he did this, and I, I think this would be really helpful as we think about closing this out and think about these moments of 
being an imposter. Let's imagine that you've died. You've bre- you breathed your last breath and you are in heaven. And let's imagine that you're told, hear this, that all of heaven is gonna get to hear your story. They're actually gonna get to watch your story on the IMAX screens. Every little detail. And as you think about this story, you start to think about how this isn't a PG story. This isn't even a PG-13 story. This probably isn't even an R-rated story. And you start to feel the shame, and you start to feel the accusations, and you start to feel just, just this, this, you feel like an imposter. You feel like, what am I doing here? I don't want them to see this sin. I don't want them to see this filth. And you sit down, and the lights go down. And the screen comes on, and you're expecting to see baby Logan in this story. But all of a sudden, what do you see? You see a manger. And you hear the cries of the word became flesh. And as you watch this story, you see this little baby become a boy. You see him teaching in the synagogues. You see him talking about how his father called him. You see him talking about how the kingdom has come. You see him healing the sick, healing the blind. You see him forgiving sins. You see him being baptized. You see the father shouting from the sky, this is my son whom I'm loved, with whom I am well pleased. You see him overcoming Satan in the wilderness. You see him serving a feast to his followers telling them, whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And then this perfect, righteous, spotless man, also God, you watch with a cross on his back walking to Calvary. And you watch him on a cross, totally innocent. And on that cross, hear this, all that filth, all that story that you thought was gonna be shared is on him. And you see the torture, and you see the pain, and you hear him cry out, it is finished. And he breathed his last. And then you see tomb and you see that not only did he die for you that he conquered it and that he's alive and right now in this moment church right now in this moment you are seeing him because he's alive in this moment and he is calling you and he is telling you my friend I will clothe you and he's telling you sister I have chosen you. He's telling you, young one, I have called you to be mine. And he's calling you in this moment to stand in his work. And he's calling you in this moment to believe in him, and he's calling you right now 
to give him the filth and to sing of his faithfulness. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, in this moment for anybody here that has not put their faith in you, that in this moment they would declare, Jesus, I believe in you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe that you have exchanged the filth. I am no longer an imposter. I am a child of yours. And for those of us who have put our faith, would you just remind us of who we are, Jesus? Would you remind us of this in this moment and when we continue to sing of, of, of your amazing grace, of your faithfulness, we give you all the glory, we love you. In your name we pray, amen.